This morning we will be deviating some from where you have been. Uh, next week I believe they will be finishing up the book of Colossians, and I am not taking on that task. I am going into one of the Psalms. The Psalms, those songs of praise and thanksgiving in a Psalm. And so we're going to be looking today at a Psalm, and we'll trust that the Holy Spirit will help us glean from this Psalm how we respond in tough times because we are in tough times in a nation. We're in tough times as we maneuver and go through and face things that we've never faced before economically and in every other way. And today we're going to be in Psalm 42, and it's going to be the upward look of a downcast soul. The upward look of a downcast soul. And so, Lord, be with us today. I have a coin here in my hand. It, uh, it's a half a dollar. <laughs> Don't usually have half a dollars in my pocket, but it was big enough that I could hold on to it without dropping it. it uh, you know, as soon as you see a coin and you have it long enough, you're looking on both sides to see what's on both sides. Today, as we look at where I'm going in Psalm 42, it's kind of like a coin with two different sides. There's a sign a side that is full of despair and discouragement, uh, known by many of the evangelical uh, Bible teachers as spiritual depression, where there's a load of, a load of, of burden upon us. Uh, the, the actual word in there means to be laid low, or be, to be bent down near the ground. It's, it's an oppressive load. And so we call that spiritual depression. In fact, one writer, Martin Lloyd-Jones, wrote a book with 21 chapters because he had preached 21 times on spiritual depression. And if you ever want to read a, a, a book, it may put you to sleep at night some, but uh, it's called Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest gifted preachers in the 1900s. But needless to say, the upward look of a downcast soul because on the one side we have victory and we have, we have a heart for God and we've got this, this, this life for him going on and that's what we're, we want. But on the other side, sometimes we see this load of despair that comes over us at different times. The focus of this psalm is how to address that. It's spiritual depression and how to address it. And it, it's spotlighted in somebody who is a Levitical priest. We follow him around a little bit and see his ups and downs. If you follow around somebody close enough, you'll see where they're up and where they're down, and that's where this is. Believers, it's not unusual for us to go through periods of despair, discouragement, and feel far from the Lord and the people of God. Some people call it down in the dumps, or I'm blue today, or some have also said it's the dark night of the soul. And every believer goes through it at one time or another. Uh, Irma Bombeck said, if life is a bowl of cherries, why am I living in the pits? And, you know, I'm thinking sometimes the believer just stands and says, what's happening? I, I feel so oppressed. I feel like things aren't going well, and I'm discouraged, and I have despair. Well, in Scripture, we find many of the great leaders in a time of great despair. I'm thinking five of them in the Old Testament who actually despaired so much they didn't want to live. Now they all lived. <laughs> you 
You know, sometimes it's easy to say, just take me, Lord. Just, I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm turning in everything. I'm done. Now, I know you have never said anything like that, and it's very hypothetical for me to say it here, right? But, but the fact it is that, remember, Elijah crawled under a bush. Jezebel was hunting him down, trying to kill him. He had had great victories, turned the whole nation back to the Lord, but he was ready to go. I have had enough. Lord, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Well, the Lord didn't, the, the Lord didn't uh, answer that in a positive way. <laughs> he said, no, you're not going anywhere. I've got work for you. We're going to recharge you, get you ready, and we're going to send you back out. Okay. And then Moses said, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me, uh, spare me this misery because the children of Israel were just pounding him. He said, Lord, I'm done. Kill me. Well, God didn't answer that prayer either, thank, thank God. <laughs> Job said, why, why didn't I just perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? In one of his times when he was scraping boils off with broken potsherds and he had some friends that were trying to cheer him up but weren't really there to beat him up. <laughs> and he said, I'm done. I'm done. Jeremiah said, cursed be the day that I was born. Everybody's against me. Jonah said it would have been better off if I die than to live because God has saved the Assyrians and I wanted them not saved. And so you can see, Lord, what about your children? What happens when they get to that level? Paul said, I despair of life itself in 2 Corinthians. He said, I've been persecuted and bent uh, up so many different ways. Peter denied Christ and it said that he went out and wept bitterly. Christ had to restore him. Jesus came back to his disciples who were sleeping and said, my soul is so sorrowful, it's sorrowful unto death. Could you not stay with me and pray? Could you not be awake? He prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. So tough stuff comes upon us. I have one sheet here that I call, that I, that I made up, causes and cures for depression and despair. And here's just some of the ones that I, I wrote down. Being far from God, that can cause some real depression and despair. No church, no prayer, no fellowship, no Bible. Believers I don't hang out with anymore, and unbelievers seem to be the people that keep beating me up. So far from God. I have watched grown men cry at the city mission and at the altar and said, Pastor, I've been away from God so long. My parents brought me up different. They brought me up to serve him and pray. Now look at my life. I'm a mess. I said, well, it's not over. <laughs> you may feel that way, and that may be where you find yourself right now. Far from God, but now come home. Be back with him. Uh, difficult trials in life, sickness, money, economic problems, pandemics like we're at now. Many, many people, and Christians alike, are struggling with, with, with a great bout of despair. But... We're going to find out that that's not where God wants to. Impatience with God's timing. Where are you, Lord? You haven't shown up. I wanted you to do this, and you didn't do it. Where are you? And that, dis that, that frustration is in this room today. I know it. I know some of your lives and some of the things you're going through, and I realize that, Lord, where are you? The actions of enemies, unbelievers, sometimes family members, they insult, they betray, they attack, they taunt, and that's going on. Physical bouts with depression, sickness, pain. It's so tough that you just feel bad and discouraged. 
and attacks from the dark kingdom. My last one. Temptations to sin, compromise our faith, casting lies upon us, hindrances to our service when we try to serve the Lord. Many ways in which Satan attacks us and our church and others with his work. That's the causes. Boy, there's a lot of them out there, isn't there? You're thinking, wow. If you want a list of these, just ask me. Cures. The first thing is we must not wallow in it. We'll find ourselves there. You may say, well, I'm not there now, and praise the Lord you're not. But there are times of frustration and despair that come upon us. And, Lord, we're in that time as a nation. Don't give in. You remember that old great, I love that man, that bulldog. He's my size. My, my, him and I could probably wore the same suits, and his name was Winston Churchill. He knew what five foot six meant. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but you know, he said, What? I will never give up. I will never give up. I will never give up. And you know what? He didn't. <laughs> Adolf Hitler gave up before he gave up. <laughs> I'm saying, Lord, thank you. Don't give in. Because there are ways in which God can restore and, and help you in your time of despair, discouragement, and what you're going through. Don't give up, because that's what Satan wants you to do. Hope in the Lord. We must put our church, our hope, our trust, excuse me, confidence and hope strongly in the Lord during times of spiritual depression and despair. He's led us continually, and he will always do so. We have seen victories, and he's not done, because he, if you, if you know Christ, he who began a good work in you, guess what? He's going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's not done. Because sometimes you say, well, I'm done. You heard those Bible teachers in the Old Testament. All right, I'm done. I'm out. Take me home. Kill me. God said, no, I got all kinds of work for you yet. You're not done. We're going to get through this. and We're going to make this work. Hope in the Lord. And then remind ourselves that the coming victories are yet coming. I will yet praise him, my God my salvation, and my God. I like what Jim Boyce had to say in this. He really did a great job on this commentary that he wrote on this. He said, I will yet praise, my, praise him, my salvation, and my God. God has not changed. He, is, he has led me in uplifting victories. His purposes have not changed. Instead of looking at the past glumly, at something I have lost, I will look the future, the foretaste of many good things yet to come. And that's what we call in the believer's life hope. We'll go over to, to Psalm 42. I've got to look at my watch here today until I get carried away. And we don't want to do that. Okay. Whatever. Okay, good. Who's this writing this psalm? Why are you cast down, O my soul? to the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, where they say to me all day long, where is your God? That's how he starts it out. 
if you're following through, technically speaking, there are five divisions of the Book of Psalms. The first division ends with 41. Most of them, almost every single one of them, written by King David, the great psalmist and shepherd boy who wrote Psalm 23, probably the most famous in that first section. This one is not written by David. It's written by the sons of Korah. You say, who are these sons of Korah? Well, they were the singers and the praisers. If there were, if there were sons of Korah here in the building today, guess where they would want to have been? With Ricky and the worship team, which they did a wonderful job today. Don't ever, ever, ever underestimate the power of believers praising their God in, a, in, in that kind of music. It's powerful. It puts joy in the heart of the Lord. It gives us a an opportunity to address him with our highest praise. So if you're not a singer, that's okay. You don't have to be three-part harmony or anything like that or four-part or any other part. Just make a joyful noise to the Lord and be out here and understand that corporate worship is one of the most special things other than preaching the word of God, it's a special item. But this son of Korah was in exile. He had been taken, and we're not given enough information on the exile, we just know he is. He has left the temple where they worship morning and at night, and the, the big Levitical choirs really knew how to sing. That's all they did. They praised God, and he's one of them. Now, Early on in number 16, we're not going to go back there, but I'll tell you, the sons of Korah, the whole group, the tribe, the whole family of Korah and the Korahites, they did something bad through their great-grandfather, and they, cha they challenged Moses. They said, Moses, we're tired of you and Aaron telling everybody what to do. We're taking over. There's going to be a regime change. And the Lord said, get out of the way, <laughs> Moses. I got a plan myself. And that was he, he all of them were 250. Uh, Korah himself got 250 people, and they said, Lord, we're taking over. And the Lord said, no, you're not. He opened the ground underneath them, and 250 people disappeared. Whew. The living God. But we're not here to talk about that, but we we realize that something happened, and I'm, I'm glad it happened, because the, in the same, in Numbers, it goes on to say, but the sons of Korah lived. <laughs> and they became powerful music people. Did you ever look back at your family tree and say, man, how did I get to love the Lord? Man, they, they are despicable. Despicable. <laughs> you don't have to say. When I look back in my family tree, I'm saying, Lord, thank you that I did not follow that same path of wickedness and rebellion. But sometimes it's the other way. A, a, a parent is, is crying out in prayer because their children aren't following the Lord, and they are. Guess what? The Lord says he had no grandchildren, per se. What he means is that we all stand before him. If you today... I don't care what your background is, what kind of parents you had, if they served the Lord, if they didn't, you keep serving him. You ask the Lord Jesus into your heart and ask him to be your Savior and Lord, and because the sons of Korah now are in exile, but boy, what a ministry these guys had. They, 
they made up for a lot of the I'm taking over now, Moses, of their last generations. And I say, thank you, Lord. They were maybe devout children of rebellious sinners, but God used them greatly. He says there that they have a maskil. You know what a maskil is? I know, I know you're saying. Barry, I haven't done that recently in the Hebrew language, a maskil. saying at this point that he's like a deer in the wilderness. Now, if you know what it is to be in the wilderness, can't find water. You know that animals, when they are out of water, that's all they think about. They'll, they'll run miles and miles to find water. He said, I'm here probably in some kind of exile. That's where he is now. He's, they've dragged him away from, from the temple where he loves to sing and he cannot sing at the temple anymore and he can't be there and he misses God. And when people miss God long enough, every seat in this, this sanctuary will be what? Filled. So he says what? Lord, I'm like a deer. I thirst for you. I need you, Lord. I, need, I, want, to, I want to be back at the temple, but the one I thirst for is you. And he says, I, I thirst for the living water. Many people thirst for money, control, pleasures, adventure, fame, and many other things you see people desperately thirst, thirsting for in our culture. But, oh, Lord, we need you. And so the thirst for the living God, the one who is alive. He says, I know he lives. See, he hasn't given up. I thirst for the living God. He's, he's there. Oh, Lord, help I remember being with Bill Skiff on the water, out of water. We were out of water on Halcott Mountain, way up in the Catskills. We had just missed under, we had, we had missed, missed uh, planned. And, and Bill Skiff is a mountain goat, one of the most mountain goatish hikers I've ever seen in my life. So we're, we're up on the top of this hill, and then we run out of water, and we still have the hill. <laughs> I said, Bill, this doesn't look good. <laughs> so we were coming down through. And all of a sudden, on the very side of the mountain, I said, Bill, look. 
and, and it hadn't happened anywhere else. There was this, there was this fountain of water coming out of the hill with no pipes or anything. They were just coming out. He said, wow. I said, I guess the Lord had his hand on us because <laughs> he wanted, we filled up, we drank from it, and then we filled up. I'm thinking, Lord, I know what it's mean to be thirsty, so you don't know what you're going to do. This guy says, I am thirsty for what? The Lord. He didn't say, I'm thirsty for, for a solution to this problem. God, I want you to do something and get me back home and not in this terrible position. He doesn't, his, he wants God. He's thirsting for the Lord. Augustine said there's this vacuum that can only be filled by the Lord in your heart. So he is, wants to meet the Lord. And thank God for that. Maybe that's where you are now. Maybe you're thirsty. You're saying, Lord, I've been away or I'm just not close to you and I'm thirsting for you, not, not for other things, for what you can do and how you're going to do things. You, you guide me and lead me. I need you, Lord. If you're there today, Jesus Christ loves you. He wants to live in your heart by faith if you don't know him. If you've come just as a visitor and you say, what is this about? This is the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins on Calvary. He shed his precious blood. He went into this despair and took it on head on and suffered for it. But yet now he says, come to me. Receive me as your Lord and Savior and I'll live in your soul. I'll forgive you and I'll give you life eternal. It's a gift. You didn't earn it. That's the gospel. And he also says, I want to meet the Lord. When shall I come and appear before God in this passage? When shall I come and appear before God? It's a simple question. And what it means, it's face to face. When shall I come and be face to face before God? The Hebrew word actually is pani, and it means to be at face with him. You say, man, if I was at face to face with God, I'd be scared <laughs> if I walked into the throne room of God Almighty. But he says, I want to be, I want to see the face of Christ. You know, the Bible, Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So when the disciples were looking at Christ and when they were walking with him and Philip said, show us the Father, Christ said, you've already seen him. I am, I am the direct image of the Father. I am God the Son. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. For God, who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, has shown in my heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. But he's in a state of mourning. He wants to see the Lord. I think, I think he's fighting. We told you, don't give in, right? Never give up. Never give up. Never give up because the Lord is with you. And so he says, you know, he's going to go. I want to come. I want to come to the Lord. I miss him. I want to come to the Lord. And he says, my tears have been my food day and night, though. We've read some of the reasons why, you know, he's exiled. He's an enemy is taunting him. Memory of better times. Highlights back home. Trials. And God seems to be silent. He said, my tears have been my food day and night. He's in a state of mourning. And he's also persecuted and taunted continually. They say to me all along, where is your God? Now, our culture, I read the Times Union just to keep up on the news in Albany and so I know what's going on. But I read it and I realize evangelicals, those who trust Jesus Christ, are taunted continually in there. See, really? Yeah, article after article. I just read a few this week. I said, so we're making fun of evangelicals again. <laughs> those who believe the Bible and just the reason you're making fun of them is because you're making fun of him. 
It's okay. You'll see that, and you'll see it more and more in the culture we live. He said, they say to me all along, where is your God? They say, hey, uh, you, now that you're here in exile, you're have the big temple thing going on. Uh, how's that going for you? Where's your God now? You're in the land of not him. You're in the land of polytheism, multiple gods. Where's your God? That's a tough question, isn't it? I, I was in a meeting a while back, and I want to tell you, I was in a meeting of a, of a neighborhood association that they wanted to know more about the mission, but it was really a disguise for pounding me in the salt, everybody in that crowd. I said, Lord, this is terrible. They said, yeah, we, we know about your spiritual stuff. We don't want to hear about that. We want to hear about your, your medical things and the good technical things you do. I said, well, the spiritual things we do are the power of the city mission. Uh, he remembers the glory days. In verse 4, he says, I pour out my soul. How, how would I go with the throng and lead them in procession? You know, how how I, I would go with the throng and lead them into procession into the house of God with shouts and songs of praise, a multitude of keeping the festival. He, he says, I remember back when we as, as Levites, we led the whole choirs. He said, it was awesome, and now I'm here and you're taunting me and you're making fun of me. But I remember when we, we led the entire nation of Israel into the temple with tremendous music. They were ministers. Another thing they remembered, we don't have a lot of time, but Jehoshaphat and in 2 Chronicles 20 realized that four nations had come against him to destroy him. The Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Moonites, they all had come down to take, take Israel apart. And Jehoshaphat said, we're going to go face him in battle, but we're not going to use any weapons because the Korahites, the musicians of the temple, are going to go and they're going to sing and they're going to sing with loud voices. And when they did, guess what happened? The enemy ran. It was routed, confused. The enemy killed each other. And, and without one shot, as it were, the sons of Korah and the power of God's grace made the day. And they remember that. He said, I remember that. Our biggest hour was when Jehoshaphat said to the sons of Korah, sing it loud, boys, sing it loud, because the praises of God will defeat these enemies. And it did. So he knows that. Well, his hopeful response in verses 5 and 6a, he says, I'm going to go from my lamentation, my despair cry. I'm going to go and say, there's hope. He said, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? He preaches hope to his cast down soul. He's starting to fight back. Martin Lloyd-Jones said in his book, the main problem in this whole matter of spiritual depression is that we allow ourselves to talk instead of talking to ourselves. And that sounds like a riddle. But when you think of the old nature in you and that old man that came forth, that's not the new man in Christ, not the new creation in Christ, but the old man, when it hits, a, it hits some pretty tough stuff, what does it do? It complains, it bickers, it walks away, it does all kinds of things. And somebody better talk to it. And guess who starts talking? 
He's talking to himself. You say, man, I do that all the time. <laughs> I'm going down the road in the car, and somebody's looking at me, and I'm doing this, and they're looking in the car to see who's, who's in there. <laughs> you ever talk to yourself? I'm sure nobody in this room has. But you know, when you do talk to yourself, it is kind of the fact that nobody really talks back. But sometimes you talk back to yourself, don't you? <laughs> oh, Lord. Why are you cast down? He said, soul. He's talking to his soul. He says, why are, you, why are you so in despair? Why are you so discouraged? Tell me. Tell me. And then all of a sudden, he preaches hope. He says, hope in God. That's not a very, that, that, that's not a very like, hard to understand command, is it? Hope thou in God. <laughs> oh, yeah, him. <laughs> Yeah, he's the one that promises to bless you and to be with you and to, to bring you forth into to rejoicing. Yes, hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him again. I shall again praise him. My salvation. He's the one that saved my soul. And he is my Elohim, God. Elohim in the second book of the Psalms. Uh, Jehovah was the, the one... But here is the almighty God, the almighty God, the powerful God of the ages, Elohim. He is my God. He stops listening to the negative side and begins to preach to himself. Kyle, the wonderful Hebrew scholars that there, it is the spirit which as the stronger and more valiant part of the man speaks to the soul. The spiritual man soothes the natural man. Because a natural man, as we are in the way even before Christ, we're going to look at the negative side. How easy is this going to be if you're a very negative person that doesn't, they always see the glass half empty, it's going to be more difficult for you to say, soul, why are you cast down? Hope in the Lord. Confess your confidence in him. He's your portion. But now we get back to some more lamentation. You say, Perry, why are we lamenting again? Well, we are, but he's repeating the, uh, in verses 6 and 7, my soul is cast down. He goes back to it. Well, it does, takes a little longer for us to get it, doesn't it? And it did him. Hope in God, for I shall yet again praise him, my salvation and my God. He gives assurance. He says, Hope in the Lord. He says, I remember my time on the mountains. He says, therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfall. All your breakers and waves have gone over me. He says, Lord, I've been in a lot of trials. And, and what he's talking about there about mountains, when you leave Israel and go 100 miles northeast, you leave the mountains of Jerusalem and you now are in the mountains of Mount Hermon. And a little mountain that we don't even know, even though I'm sure Bill Skiff could find it. it, it it's not identified. <laughs> I've never seen a man find mountains like he does. But the fact of the matter is, he says, I remember when we crossed over to Mount Hermon, which is 9,000 feet high and has snow on top of it most of the year. I've seen it. I wanted to climb it, but we couldn't. We were on a tour. But the fact of the matter is, he says, deep calls to deep because there's all this water coming off because that's where 
the Jordan River starts up there. And I've been there and I've watched those rapids. He said, I've been there and the rapids are like trials that keep coming over me and they're trials that you allow. But he says, I'm, I'm, I know you're sovereign. Because in his, his further hopeful response in verse 8, he says, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me as a prayer to the God of my life. He's in this morass of, of complaining and frustration. And I've been there. I've been there even recently as I've faced some battles I never would have thought I'd face in mission work. It's okay. I didn't give up, but I did. I could easily go back where the old man is and just complain. But the fact of the matter is, he goes on and, and leaves off with, he says, the trials, I saw all that water coming off. I realized it was reminiscent of water coming over my soul in trial. All the trials that I've been through. You might be in major trial right now. I'm sure some of us are more than others. You're facing issues with family and jobs and neighbors and health and economics. His further hopeful response is in verse 8. He says, by, by the day the Lord commands his steadfast love, his night a song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He says, even with all this, I, he said, I believe this. I believe God is still with me. Because he commands his steadfast love, an inanimate object, of course, or, or he just takes his love and he commands it upon us. It's steadfast love. It's hesed love. Chesed in the Hebrew means loving kindness. It means God does what he says, and he loves his kids, and he's going to love them until they come home and, and love them past that through all eternity. He says, I got doses of chesed every day, the loving kindness of God. Lord, thank you. I, I feel it. Sometimes I'll stop what I'm doing. I'll say, Lord, you showed up somehow. You answered a prayer. You encouraged my heart in the middle of some stuff. He said, yeah, because I command my love every day to you. Just remember this verse. He commands his love to his people. And then he also says, at night, now he might not be musical, but you got to appreciate this. At night, his song is with me in a prayer. He's singing to himself. Do you ever sing to yourself at night? I was singing on the way up here because I have three, three Christian stations on Cirrus Radio that have, they have special music on Sunday morning. Man, I can't stop singing. And I'm not one to sing as much. Maybe you are. But he, he's starting to go to sleep at night, and all of a sudden he thinks of a song and music, and he's singing. And it's not just singing. It's, it's singing to you, Lord. I'm singing to you. And when we sing here at corporately, we're not singing for each other. Maybe you can't carry a note in a bucket. In a bucket. But who you're not sure... <laughs> You're like him. He's singing to the Lord, and he said, Lord, I've got to sing. It's in me. Of course, they were tremendous singers. <laughs> it's okay. The Lord doesn't mind how much you can sing. He wants to hear your praises. Well, his final lamentation, he's had three of them. I say to God, my rock. See, he, 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 he hasn't forgotten where he came from. God's my rock. You know what a rock is. It's a place you can stand on. It's a place that won't, it's not going there. It's a firm foundation. He said, God's my firm foundation. Even when everything else is in a major mess, it's moving everywhere. I can trust him. Lord, thank you. 
But then he says, why have you forgotten me? You say, wait a minute, are you, what, what? <laughs> where are you going here? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? He's boldly asking God why he has forgotten him. During the same time, though, uh, he's also saying he's, God's his rock. He understands, but he's in the, I'm going to tell you, I understand. He's in exile. He's got enemy, all he looks around, he's got enemy taunting and making fun of him. In verse 11, his final, his final uh, response is there. It's the same thing he just said before. Why? Because the truth didn't go out of style. When you have biblical truth, guess what? It's biblical truth. So he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? He repeats it. He's going to repeat it again in 43, which is, which is a portion of this psalm. It's the conclusion of it. We won't have much time to go there. Why are you in turmoil with me? Hope in God. For I shall yet again praise him, my salvation. And that word is Yahshua or Jesus Jesus is the salvation of his soul and mine. He's the, he is the one. That's why Joshua, Jesus is in this psalm, and he's right there. My, my Yahshua, my salvation, and my God, my Elohim. The one in charge of everything, and the whole earth is the one who is my God. You see the word M-Y there? He didn't say a God. He didn't say some God I've heard about. He said, he's my God, and I've thirsted for him, and I want him, and even though I'm questioning him and I'm I'm saying tough stuff, the Lord is not going to be insulted and leave you forever if you bring the tough stuff to him. It's okay. He's relentless in hope. He said, I want to be back in Jerusalem, and he says, God is my salvation. You know, the Bible says that we have our hope in Jesus Christ. He's the anchor of our soul. And it's in behind the veil in the temple. He said, it's in heaven. I put my faith in Christ and I'm anchored there. And one day when I come home, all the ship nonsense and wrecks and turmoil of this life, I have hope. So I say the same thing that, that, that he says, hope in the Lord, hope in the Lord. And when I get to the place, sometimes the only answer I'm not gonna fix, it's not going to be fixed in a minute, but I'm going to hope in you, Lord, because you're right with me. You said you're loving kindness to me. You give me songs in the night. Oh, Lord. When we get into the conclusion, which, and I need to stop here, but verse 40 and the next chapter, it, it's really one. You could get rid of the 43. They're both one. In verse 2, he continues his encouragement, he said, you, you are a God in whom I take refuge. But why have you rejected me? Lord, he said, I, te- I, I believe, I trust. Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? He then asked God for more hope. He says, send out your light and your truth. That's his word. And illumination to his truth. Let me, let me, let me understand your word so I can have more hope. And let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. And I'll go to your altar. To God, my exceeding joy, I will praise you. Does that sound like a guy under it all? No, he's coming out of this despair because God is with him. It's a tough chapter. It's a chapter that made me face myself. I said, Lord, I'm kind of like him. 
There's a song that I sing a lot. Even when I'm on the mountain, sometimes alone, I sing it. Day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I have no cause for worry or for fear. Who, whose heart is kind beyond all measure, gives to each day what he deems best. Lovingly is part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with rest. And the rest of that song you can find, I'm sure, on the internet, day by day. Oh, you can see, it's okay. If you're not having the greatest day, it's not, it's not a, a, a problem. If you bring to the Lord your frustrations, your despair, your, your depression, and say, Lord, I'm hoping in you, but I need to tell you how I'm feeling. I need to tell you how bad it is. He says, I know, I'm sending my love to you. Father, we just come before you. There'll be someone in this room that has problems that we don't even know how bad they are. But Lord, may they meet you with them. Oh, God. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for sending your loving kindness to me and giving me songs in the night in the midst of some of the toughest trouble. But Lord, you love us. And it's part of your plan to strengthen us and make us all that you want us to be as we serve you. Oh, Lord, we thank you. There'll be one in this room that says, Jesus, I give my heart to you. I need you. It's a tough world out here, Lord, and you, your son died for me, and he's my salvation. And so I invite him into my life to save me and be my Savior and Lord, and I turn to him. Lord, give us wisdom as we walk through the many, many traps of discouragement. Hope thou in God. He is my salvation and my God. In Christ's name, amen.